I was attending a conference once, and um, you know, you get your conference packet, and you get your little lanyard with your name tag and all that sort of stuff, and then it was time for lunch. Went out to lunch at a local restaurant. Young lady behind the counter, her name tag said Elizabeth. So I'm being friendly like I want to do, and I said, oh, Elizabeth, that's a great name. It's like an old-fashioned name. Were you named after somebody? She says, yes, I was named after my grandmother. And I said, oh, wow, I've got to marry Elizabeth. She was named after her grandmother. She says, that's great, Aaron. I'm like, wait, what? How does she know my name? And I literally did like this, and she points. And I'm like, oh, the name tag. Yeah. Names. There's a reason we have names. You think about words, we have a fancy word about where words come from called etymology. My kids are already rolling their eyes just because I've mentioned it. Because anytime my kids ask me about a word, I'm like, oh, here's the definition of the word and here's where it comes from. That's the etymology. I remember when I learned the word etymology, I was fancy that there was such a word, or I thought it was fancy. Anyhow, my kids' eye rolls aside. There's a reason for names. Today, we uh, continue in our study of Acts, the Spirit, the church, and the world. And of course, we're considering how God gave the Spirit to establish the church in order to share the love of Jesus and redeem the world unto Him. And in our study today, in Acts chapter 11, verse 19 and following, and if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and do so, Acts eleven nineteen, we're going to see where believers in Jesus were first called Christians. Christians, it's a term that most of us in the room would use to describe ourselves, isn't it? It's a term that may even been used in the past and even today to describe our nation, our values or worldview. And now you have Christian churches, Christian businesses, Christian organizations, Christian music, Christian books, Christian bookstores, Christian camps, fill in the blank. You can throw Christian in front of it, right? And today... Thanks be to God, since COVID is over, at least we hope it stays over and away from us in Lincoln, Nebraska, we have a potluck, the hallmark of Christendom. Nobody else is excited about the potluck? I thank you. Thank you. I am excited. We get to have a potluck and we get to sit around and eat like one big family, which is what God intended us to do as a church family. That's what you see in the book of Acts. And so, even if you didn't know there was a potluck and you didn't bring anything, come. We're Baptists. We brought enough for you, too. And um, make sure to sit by somebody you don't know or you don't know well and just start a conversation. Trust me, it'll be awkward at first, but it'll get going, and then you'll have a new friend within just a few minutes. It'll be great. But when we consider where names come from, we see that here. Just given a little background of where we've been, Luke ended the previous section, and if you look in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, he says, when they heard this, they had no further objection and praise God. So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Remember, the church started among Jewish people in Jerusalem, and then it went to Samaritans, and now it's gone to Gentiles, and now it's going to take a step further in the Gentile world, and Gentiles are anybody that's not Jewish. And what's really happening is Acts 1-8 is coming alive. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So this is the last step, the uttermost parts. This is beyond Judea and Samaria, and this is the town of Antioch. Our scripture memory verse for the month takes us there in summary, and we'll give a minute 
to get back there, and that's Acts chapter 12, verse 24. The scripture memory verse for the month, Acts 12, 24. And let's say that together. It's a new one to you, but it's an easy one. Acts 12, 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Acts 12, 24. We'll get there in a few weeks when we study Acts 12 till we hear why the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Now, if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, would you do so as we read our focal passage today, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through the end of the chapter, verse 30. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we've opened your word and we pray you open our understanding. We rejoice that we are called Christians. That so many of us here that have already trusted Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord can bear that title And we pray, Father, for anyone here who has not yet trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that they would make that decision today and they would bear it as well. God, it's in the study of your word, the Bible, that we know that we'll become more like Christ. And we pray that you speak to us through that now. It's in the name of Jesus and all of us said, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Our first point to consider on your outline this morning is the beginning of the church at Antioch. The beginning of the church of Antioch. So how did it start? Well, those that were scattered from the persecution in Jerusalem went to Phoenicia and Antioch, uh, Cyprus and Antioch, but a few of them who were actually originally from Cyprus and Cyrene chose to go to Antioch. Well, Antioch was a big deal. Antioch was called by Roman historians the third city of the Roman Empire, where there was Rome and there were Alexandria, these great cosmopolitan places with hundreds of thousands of people, if not a million. Antioch was known at the time of the Bible's writing to have 500,000 people. So can you imagine a town 40% bigger than Lincoln with no cars to get around in and 500,000 people? And so this is the town of Antioch, and you could see why it was that these men went there, an influential city. And it was said to have had a Jewish population of at least 20,000, up to 60,000. And so they went to the other Jews there first, but when the Jews didn't respond, they said, hey, 
Let's go preach to the Gentiles. And what's verse 21 say? The Lord was with them. That's an expression of God's power. An expression of God's power in blessing, an expression of God's power in providing wisdom, an expressing of God's power in judgment, and whatever it is that you need God to do when the Lord is for you've prayed it for yourself, you've prayed it for others. But look what happened when the Lord was with them in the middle to the latter part of verse 21. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. They're preaching to Gentiles. Cornelius and his household that we studied uh, last week and the week before were the first Gentiles converted, non-Jews that became believers in Jesus. And now we have these in Antioch. But note that last phrase. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Belief is faith. Turn to the Lord is repentance. Now, a lot of times we talk about repentance happening before faith, but faith may happen before repentance. It may be that you are going through life doing your own thing and you see Christianity. You understand faith. Your heart is drawn. The Holy Spirit is working on your heart and your mind. People are talking to you or you're just reading the Bible and you have faith first. And then you say, oh, I see what the Bible says. I need to confess my sins and repent and turn from my sins and follow Jesus. Faith plus repentance is the formula for salvation. You could write that down. Faith plus repentance equals salvation. That's exactly what happened there. So these people are getting saved, which leads us to our first question. Who have I told about Jesus? It was believers that had gone to this city, presumptively not knowing anyone, to tell them about Jesus. Although God calls some to be pastors, missionaries, ministers. God calls some to serve vocational, others to serve as tent makers. And although some are called to go to other places around the world and we celebrate and pray for those missionaries, all of us are called to be missionaries right where we're at. God put you as a believer in Jesus, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your job, with your friends and your hobbies, in order that you might be a witness for Jesus. You are the missionary. I don't know about you, but that's kind of exciting and kind of terrifying at the same time. Anybody else want to raise their hand and agree with me? You think about the people you know, and you think about the stuff that's happened in their life, and you think about how hard that some of them can be, or maybe how smart they are, and they got it figured out, but it's a worldly humanistic philosophy, and you're like, I don't know how to talk to them about that. It's terrifying, yet your heart goes out to them because you know they're lost, and they're going to go to hell unless you share the gospel with them, and you pray for them, and you seek to have opportunities with them. God empowers you. God speaks through you. Just open your mouth, take the first step, and see what God will do. There's so many times when I'm preaching that words come out of my mouth, and I'm like, I didn't study that. It's not written on my notes right here. It's the Holy Spirit. Why does that come out? Because you are praying for me, because I've prayed for this. It'll happen just like that when you have those conversations with folks. If you're willing to take the step, if you're willing to have faith, God will speak through you. Be studious, build relationships, invite others into relationship with you, invite them to consider Jesus, invite them to church, Bible study and home group. That's one of our next steps, invite others. Do that and see what God will do. Your second point on your outline today, past the beginning of the Church of Antioch, is the encouragement of the Church of Antioch. 
encouragement of the church of Antioch. And when you're going to talk about encouragement in the New Testament, nobody better than the guy we meet next, Barnabas. News had reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. His name literally means, Barnabas means son of encouragement. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God. I love that phrase. He pitches up. He doesn't know these people, but he can see by the way they're acting and interacting, the the way they talk to one another, they're nonverbal with one another, whatever they were doing, he can see that they were believers in Jesus. He saw evidence of the grace of God in him. And what's it say? He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Hmm. William Barclay, Bible commentator, said of Barnabas, he was the man with the biggest heart in the church. If Barclay were to know you and uh, give such a description of you, what would it be? The woman with the most forgiving heart in the church. The man with the most generous heart in the church. The woman with the most compassionate heart in the church. What about you? How would you be identified? What does it say there as the scripture goes on? He was a good man, verse 24, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So verse 24 switches from talking about the church as a whole and Barnabas' interaction to the church to talk about Barnabas himself. And because of Barnabas' character and because the Holy Spirit was with him and with those people as Barnabas saw, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Literally, a large crowd was added. Your second question asks this, and that's how do I inspire others? I use the word inspire because I think there was something about who Barnabas was. He saw that the Holy Spirit was already present among those people, but you have a group that has the Holy Spirit present among them, and you add a guy like Barnabas, who his natural giftedness is encouragement. He preaches the gospel to them. He lives life with them, and boom, things explode, and more people are added. He's inspired them to faith. He's inspired them to go out and share the gospel. He's encouraged them because that's who he is. Gracious, kind, joyful, inspiring, missionary, preacher, Barnabas. How do you live that out in your life? That you live in such a way that something about the way that God has gifted you with one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the spiritual gifts, your talents, your abilities, your personality, comes out from you that other people are attracted to you and they're attracted to Jesus because of that. You inspire others. Let's move on to your third point in your outline, and that's this one. The growth of the church of Antioch. The growth of the church of Antioch takes place in verse 25 and 26 as we get an explanation there that Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now that's a bit of a journey from Antioch. And it says, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So Barnabas, the dude's established. The dude's well known. He's got a nickname, Barnabas, son of encouragement. He's goes to Antioch, and because he's preaching and because of his character, many more were added to the church at Antioch. But Barnabas is humble enough to realize he can't do this on his own. He looks around and says, you know what? I've got this gifting, and I've got this amount of time and energy, but there's more believers than I can handle alone. 
And besides that, there's all these other people that don't know Jesus as their Savior. So what does Barnabas do? He goes to Tarsus to find Saul. It's been seven to eight years at this point since Saul was converted. We'll talk more about Saul in the uh, chapters ahead as we get there. But he goes to find Saul because he remembered when Saul came to Jerusalem. He remembered how Saul preached in Jerusalem. He remembered the character of Saul from Jerusalem. He would prayed with him. He would spent time with him. It was Barnabas that made all the difference when bringing Saul to Jerusalem, the former persecutor of the church, now a member of the church. And he goes to Tarsus to find Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And what's it say? So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. A year they spent together as a team, complimenting one another, preaching, teaching, living life with the church at Antioch. And look at the result. End of verse 26. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The church is growing so much that the culture, this big cosmopolitan city of Antioch goes, we got to come up with a name for these people. I mean, they talk about this guy, Jesus, all the time, and they're always meeting together in houses and praying together and studying, and they've got these guys that teach them, and it's sort of Judaism, but it's sort of different because they got this guy they call the Messiah, the Christ. we got to call up a name for him. Oh, let's call him Christians, little Christ, because they talk about Christ all the time. Begs a question for us, and that is, who helps me? Who helps me become more like Jesus? Barnabas and Saul helped those people become more like Jesus, so much so that the world invented a new name for them. What about you? Who has helped you become more like Jesus? And you know they're a Christian, but there's something about their character that attracted you and something about the relationship over time as you've grown to love them and they've mentored you and discipled you and come alongside you through highs and lows. What about those that you've done that with? One of our, our principles of relational discipleship are these questions of who am I discipling, helping to become more like Jesus, and who's discipling me, helping me become more like Jesus. That's exactly what you see happening in the church at Antioch. Let's move on to your fourth point. Your fourth point is the good works of the church at Antioch. The good works of the church at Antioch. There's this insertion there in verse 27 and 28 about Agabus who comes and through the Holy Spirit predicted a severe famine spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius and um, there was not a severe famine over the entire Roman world at the time, but in the entire Judean region, including this area, Antioch. And it's recorded by extra biblical outside the Bible sources as well, but that's not where we're going here. Where we're going is verse 29, the disciples, each according to his own ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. Because of that famine in Judea, because of the conditions in the church in Judea, even though Jerusalem was the mother church, if you will, the folks in Jerusalem and in Judea were struggling financially and struggling to make it. The folks in Antioch, this cosmopolitan city, I guess the economy is good there and things are going well. They take up an offering to send back by Saul and Barnabas to the church in Judea. They were meeting needs, which leads you to your fourth question on your outline. How readily do I meet the needs of others? 
How readily do I meet others' needs? Some of you, this is who you are. You see a need, boom, you meet it. We can't do everything, but we can do something, right? You see a need and you meet it. What are your gifts? What can you share? What are your abilities? What can you do? What has God provided for you that you can share out of? I was thinking just the other day. um, Well, let me go back. Start the story another way. I saw a picture on Facebook. Uh, The church I served 16 years ago before we came here to um, Southview, First Baptist Church, Venus, Texas. We used to tease and say Venus was like a whole other planet. It was a different world there. Anyhow, wonderful folks in the church in Venus, and some of them are still members of that church, as folks are uh, usually do. You know, that's your church family, and you stay with it. And there was a man in that church at that time who was kind of a part of, he wasn't kind of, he was a part of the family in the church. You know, smaller churches generally have one family that's like the strong family and all the family members, and you've got... We had four generations of that family in our church, and, you know, the grandmother was the matriarch, and then, you know, it went down from there. This man's name was Charlie. Charlie was one that never wanted to be a deacon. He would always say, no, God's not called me to be a deacon, and I would have to agree with him on that, even though I disagreed with him on that, because the man just served. It's who he was. He was a servant. Anytime there was something to do, Charlie was there. Anytime something needed fixed, Charlie got it fixed. Anytime a need was to be met, Charlie was there with tears in his eyes and a prayer in his heart. He didn't talk a lot, but he served. That's who he was. That was Charlie that I knew 16 years ago as his pastor. Fast forward to last week, scrolling through Facebook a little bit. There's pictures of the Vacation Bible School at that church. Here's all kinds of kids I don't recognize because that's been 16 years and I don't know. Here's a couple ladies in the church I recognize. And there's one man in the picture. Guess who it is? Charlie, the servant. He had that kind of character of good works. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a teacher. He wasn't a deacon. He wasn't going to be the guy to speak out loud uh, the glories of God, but he sure lived it. What about you? What is it that you have? What is it that you are? What is it that you can do that will make a difference in the lives of others to point them to Jesus? Just like my friend Charlie. We got a fifth and final point and question for you by means of conclusion. The identification with the church at Antioch. We identify with them because we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. It's who we are. It's how we meet. It's how we encourage one another. It's how we meet needs. But the question for application for us, where the rubber meets the road, is this. They were first called Christians. How am I known? Do people know me that I call myself a Christian? Or do I know that I really live as a Christian? With the actions and the word and the character that back it up. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your word and what it teaches us week in and week out as we study it day in and day out as we read it, meditate it, study it, memorize it on our own. And as we've considered this passage of scripture today, we rejoice that the believers were first called Christians at Antioch and even today, 2,000 years later almost, we get to bear that name, the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.
And God, we pray that those of us that are believers in Jesus would live such a life that it wouldn't just because we go to church or wear a shirt or have the little thing on the back of our car, but that people would know we're Christians by how we live, what we say and what we do and don't say and don't do. Not because we're legalistic, but because Jesus has changed us. And we're so full of the love of Christ that we exhibit the grace of God and his mercy and peace and hope to others around us. And God, we pray for those who aren't believers in Jesus that maybe today would be the day they make that decision. And right now, as we stand to sing, they'd share it with me and we can share it with everybody and rejoice. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen.